2: Welcome to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Traina. Thanks for joining me. This episode will feature two segments. First segment will be an interview with the longtime voice of the New York Yankees, John Sterling. John has been calling Yankee games on the radio since 1989 and has not missed one game In that span, 29 years, not missed a game, and he's going to be 80 years old in July. So we spoke to John about his career, lengthy career. He's done games with the Braves, the Hawks, the Nets, Sports Talk Radio, lengthy career. We get into it all. So you'll hear from John Starling, the radio voice of the New York Yankees first. And then after that, my boss, the managing editor of Sports Illustrated, and director Jonathan Hawk joined the program to talk about an upcoming documentary that's going to air later this season on SITV about the 1978 Yankees Red Sox battle. The documentary is going to be called 14 and a half back. And Chris and Jonathan, who has done a bunch of 30 for 30s and is a phenomenal director tell you what to expect. There is so much stuff in that 78 season that you've forgotten or you may not know about, and it's going to make for a tremendous documentary. So uh, if you want to relive some of that magic from the 78 season, that interview is for you. So that comes up after John Sterling, who kicks things off right now on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Okay, joining me now on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast, big thrill for me if you have read my column Over the years on SI.com, you know I'm an enormous fan of this man, the voice, the only voice of the New York Yankees, John Sterling. Hi, John.
3: Well, hello. Thank you. What a nice introduction.
2: My pleasure. I I am, like I said, a big fan. I'm one of these people who turns down the sound on the TV and puts you and Susan on the radio. And I And I uh, thank you for all of the entertainment over the years.
3: Well, frankly, I, I do get that. It's wonderful when I hear it. But, um, you know, as they say, first of all, it's my pleasure. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm very lucky that I'm able to combine my my vocation with my avocation. I mean, I love what I'm doing, so it, it truly is a labor of love, so thank you.
2: I don't think anyone can dispute that you love what you do. And I want to start with something. I, just to, I want to get a clarification and, and just be 100% sure of something, because I have written columns about this and I tweet about this often. And I think it's probably the most underrated stat in sports and one of the greatest stats in sports, and I want to get confirmation. You've been calling the Yankees since 1989. almost it's 29 years. Next year you'll be your 30th season doing it. You have not missed an inning, correct? Uh,
3: well, just about. Well, with Susan, I do all the play-by-play, so I haven't missed an inning, and this is our either our 14th or 15th year. I haven't missed a game in the 30 years with the Yanks. And um, if you really want to go back to me, I, I haven't missed a, an, a game that I was scheduled to broadcast since uh, I began with the Hawks in November of 1981. So this would be my 38th season without missing a games. And there were five years in there when I did the Hawks and the Braves, and I was probably broadcasting about 120 games a year.
2: Obviously, it's a remarkable, remarkable feat, and I think the grind of baseball to do 162 games a year, which is what you do to not miss one game. in since 1989, when you started as the Yankees in the radio booth for the Yankees, wh- is remarkable? What do you attribute? Obviously luck has to be a factor, but what else do you attribute this unbelievable streak to?
3: You know, I don't think about it. And, um, you know, people ask me about the streak. I don't, honestly think about it i i just do it and um i like what i do i, I look forward to about every game and um and for example tonight is uh, the final game of this road trip which has been tough for reasons other than baseball and um i i it's like mind over matter when i begin the game i'm so into the game right. that i really don't think of anything else And, um, but you are right. It is luck or genes or something that I've been able to do this without getting sick during the season.
2: Have you ever come close to missing a game?
3: Well, I don't Mm -hmm. think I've ever come close to missing a game. I've been sick. Right. Um, but I I don't know how, but I was very sick one afternoon in Los Angeles before a Hawks game. And... And I, uh, I laid down for a couple of hours, and when I got up, I was fine. And, um, you know, there have been times when I've been sick. Uh, one time during a Red Sox doubleheader, I really got sick. Food poisoning. <laughs> oh, boy. And Susan was with me then. And um, and uh, I had to, in the second game, I had to leave um, <laughs> between innings. <laughs> and uh, But I, I usually got back. And, um, I mean, I always got back, and just my luck that that night when I really, really was sick in Boston, um, it was a split doubleheader, and to fill the time between games, I, I ate, and I obviously ate something that disagreed with me, and uh, <clears throat> and it turned, the second game turned out to be uh, the longest nine-inning <laughs> Major League game in history. <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: Just the but, way they uh, drew it up.
3: But the next day, Gene Monahan, our great trainer, Gino gave me a potion, and that took care of that, and I was okay.
2: All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's amazing it only happened once. Um, your resume is so extensive. You mentioned the Hawks. You've done the Nets, the Islanders, the Braves, the Yankees, obviously, for the last bunch of years. Has your... Uh, has your broadcasting philosophy, if you even have one, how is how has it changed over the years? I'm just curious. 70s, 80s, 90s. Now we're yeah. here.
3: Well, you, you know, I don't want to sound too shallow, although I am. <laughs> um, I, I don't have a philosophy. I don't. Uh, I don't work things out. How am I going to do today? I live my life by the seat of my pants, and I broadcast by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and so, um, I, you know, I, I do. What I do when I, you know, do it, um, I don't really think about it. And I, so I would say, now I hope I've improved. I hope I'll always keep improving. I'll always find better ways to do things. Tony Bennett once said that, that Pablo Casals was, was learning new techniques in his 90s. So, you know, you hope to improve, but usually what, not usually. When I go on the air, I do what I do when I go on the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, they open the, they open, they turn on the red light and you know, they point at me, and I open my big fat mouth oh. and go. And if there's a philosophy, I guess that's it. I just fly. Right. Kurt Gotti once said, when you're doing radio baseball, you know, you and your engineer, and um, and your partner, and you fly like a bird. In other words, it's so different than TV, mm-hmm. which is so orchestrated, and you have a director in your ear all the time. Well, I have no one. I do have a great producer engineer in Jack Maldonado. He's the best I've ever had in all my years, and I've been at it a long time. <laughs> but um, I don't think about it. That's the biggest thing I do. Yeah. I just do it.
2: I'm curious. You mentioned TV. I know you've done TV in the past, obviously, but with the Yankees since '89, it's been radio only. Have you ever had a desire in your time with the Yankees to do TV, or you're 100% perfectly content doing the radio?
3: Um, I'm 100% uh, totally satisfied in doing radio baseball. Um, I have done TV um, on Yes. I've done some football and basketball games. Right. In Atlanta, of course, uh, we, we the, there were four of us on baseball, and two of us would start on radio, two would start on TV, and we would cross at the end of four and a half. Uh, so I was doing TV all the time, and with the Hawks, I did their TV along with radio, and sometimes I did simulcasts. Um, but, but I would say the, the quote-unquote television, which I guess people think is a big thing. In baseball, I don't know if it is a big thing. Baseball is very much of a, a radio sport. So with the Yankees, I'm very happy doing radio.
2: And being with the Yankees being the juggernaut they've been since basically '90. Four ninety-five, ninety-six. 96, you get the benefit of doing all those postseason games where if you were doing yes or well, the television side of it, you don't get to do the postseason
3: games. Yeah, I think that's terrible. Yeah, A guy who follows his team all year long and then can't do the playoffs, and I know the TV guys don't like it at all. Those are the games you want to do. Of
2: course, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. You may think it's boring. I, I, I'm fascinated by it. I'd be curious if you don't mind. Yankees have a home game. Can you take me through your daily routine from when you wake up to when you're back home. I'm just curious how you, what your prep is for the game when you're at the stadium, what you do before a game, after a game. I, I,
3: I'd be glad to tell you, but you'll find it very boring. I doubt um, it. I'm not. <laughs> well, because um, first of all, I don't write anything down. I don't do broadcast that way. Right. I, I try to do as few stats as possible, except things that I think are important or really interesting. Um, but for example, uh, let's talk about this Friday, since you want to do this. Good idea, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, this Friday we'll be home. Now we have a day off tomorrow. Yay! And um, <laughs> you know they never give the Yankees because they're a big draw, and um, they're they're good for TV ratings. They never give the Yankees a getaway day game. Now this is this is a great example today. Yep. Um, the Cardinals in Kansas City are playing getaway day game. If we had a getaway day game, you know, starting, let's say, now, um, you know, you'd finish at 4 or 5, whenever the Yankee games take a long time, and then it's a long trip. But you'd get home, let's say, at 9 or 10 or 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and get a decent night's sleep. Well, we're going to play a night game, and we're going to get home like 3 or <laughs> 4 in the morning and drives you now, That's the toughest part of the job by far. The travel. Yep. And um, so uh, I have an ability. I, I'm a late person. And I think I was a late person when I was a kid. So it isn't just that I've been working late all these years, but that's also part of it. So when I get home, I'm one of those. I mean, you probably feel this way yourself. I can't go to sleep right away. Right. You know, when a guy finishes broadcasting a game, he's concentrating for all those hours, pitch by pitch. And at the end of the game, I can't fall asleep. It takes me... A couple of hours. You know, I want to have uh, maybe an adult beverage and watch something on TV or catch up with the latest scores or whatever it is I, I do. I have
2: to interrupt for one second. What is yes. the John Sterling adult beverage of choice? I need to know. Excuse me? What is the John Sterling adult beverage of choice?
3: Uh, well, for the most part, I drink either vodka or scotch.
2: Okay. <laughs> I had to know that. Go ahead. Continue.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: anyway so i'll go to sleep very late tonight and um but tomorrow uh which is as i say an off day you know i'll do errands and whatever so friday when i get up um i'll have brunch and usually very healthy in the morning or or noon is when my brunches and um then i i'll have errands to do but i have to do a lot of things for myself and right. and i will and i'll i'll swim i i live in a in a fabulous apartment house, which has a pool downstairs, indoor pool. They have an outdoor, of course, but the biggest thing is they have an indoor pool. And I can go downstairs, swim my half hour, get my workout in, and go upstairs and shave and shower and dress and make myself look absolutely gorgeous. And then...
2: For radio. Uh,
3: then I'll go to the stadium and, you know, drive through um, New York traffic <laughs> 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 over the GW Bridge. I live in New Jersey. And... Uh, <laughs> and get to the stadium, you know, let's say around five, and I do my lineups with Susan and Jack. And if a chance, I'll have a bite to eat, and then the game is on. And um, I broadcast the game, and I drove home. My drive home, do the same thing. Right. Now it occurs this week is really different. We're playing Saturday night instead of Saturday afternoon, and then we play Sunday afternoon and Monday afternoon, which I think is Memorial Day. Yes. So those uh, afternoon games are really tough for me because I have to get up early, obviously. And Sunday I have the radio show before the game, which is heard just on, on the local flagship uh, WFAN. Anyway, and, and so it goes day after day. Uh, Sunday, for example, after the afternoon game, we're having a big family party, a big family dinner, and I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Uh, I have four children yep. and, um, and, uh, anyway, and on and on, it's, not, it's I, uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't explain it. You know, people say, how do you prepare for the game? And my answer is, I've been preparing since I was seven mm-hmm. years old. Right. I mean, I don't have to do anything different. Well, I, read, do, I read the newspapers.
2: I was going to say, you got to know the players on the other team, I would think would be the biggest challenge. But,
3: I, but I've been doing that all my life. Yeah. Of course I know the players on the other team. Yeah. And I grew up in an era before expansion when you knew every player and every team in hockey, basketball, baseball, and most of the stars in football. So, um, it, in other words, I don't have to work at it, Jimmy. Yeah, It's what I do right. f- for my life. I only do things I enjoy. And so I ignore everything else. <laughs> and so I-
2: I have, a couple, I have a couple of things to say about your schedule that I'm fascinated by. The first thing may sound very stupid, but I don't mind embarrassing myself. It's, it's the least of my worries. I'm fascinated that you drive yourself to the games only because I would think 29 years on the job, the Yankees, with all that money, should have you get you a car and a driver. That's a bad job by the Yankees. John <laughs> Sterling deserves a car and a driver if – uh Hal or Randy Levine are listening to this. Get well, to I find
3: try. it very easy, and and uh, to get in my own car and drive and have air on and have music on. I have usually Sirius Lee Sinatra on, on on Sirius XM. Yep. And um, and so I, I have the music that I love every day. I'm very lucky. I'm very and, lucky. I've had sports and music as a companion, as two companions, since I was a little boy, since I was seven, eight, nine years old. So, a th- anyway... A um, few things better than those two things. Excuse me?
2: A few, there are only a few things in life better than those two things,
3: that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. and so um, I have those. So, in other words, for me to, to prepare for the game or to keep up, well, I do it because I do it. If I was selling insurance, I would be involved in sports in some way right. because I love it so much. So I really do want to find out what's happening in basketball and hockey, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah and it, it it's not work to me it's something uh, as i said before it's a labor of love it's my labor and i love it so
2: are are you not an internet user at all
3: i am not an internet user at all
2: do you do email i do not wow text message well i think you do text message right or no
3: yeah i, I get texts yes okay.
2: so no no email no internet so you so you're a newspaper guy to find the, to, to
3: Yeah, and I'm in a lot of trouble. Why you... I'll tell you a story yes. to help your help your podcast little stories. Please. I'm in a taxi in Boston a couple of years ago, a few years ago. And uh, I always bring reading material. You know, the that awful trip that you've heard about the Yankees had where we had to sit on a plane for thirteen hours. Ah uh, yes. Well I bring an overkill of reading. And so I open a book and I get involved. And you know when you get involved in a book, boy, you don't want anyone to bother you. You're following this book. And I read nothing but things that entertain me. I think that is another thing I do in life, sports, music, etc. I only watch things, listen to things, read things that entertain me. And so um, um, uh, I forget my, my absolute dumb point. What was my dumb About
2: point? About not using the Internet?
3: No, that's, that's think... oh, about Boston, yeah. So um, I bring an overkill of reading all the time. So I'm in this back of this cab reading a newspaper, and we stop at a light, and this cab driver turns to me. He said, "He said, you know, buddy, he said we're dinosaurs. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we're the last people to read newspapers. Yep,
4: yep.
3: Unfortunately, I have... that's true. And if, you know, the rumors that you hear swirl that, even newspapers are going to go just on the internet. I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> that may force me to learn how to fool around with the internet.
2: Is it? I'm just, I'm curious. I mean, we're just talking about the the not using the internet age difference. Perhaps do you ever have trouble? How your relationship with players on the Yankees? I'm curious. Do they all? Um, Sort of recognize you as the voice of the Yankees and there's a good relationship there. Respect level? Is it hard to relate to them because they're so young and their heads are probably buried in their iPhones anytime you're trying to speak to them?
3: Well, that's not just the players. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> everyone. I swim and I get to the end of the pool. You know, look up and there are people sitting around the pool fiddling with their phones. And you get on a Yankee bus after the game, and everyone is fiddling with their phones. And you get on the plane, they're fiddling with their phones. And um, I have no problem relating to the players, um, even though I would say they're younger. And um, outside of one player, no, I'm not going to name because what's the point? Um, and that was years ago, or more more than twenty years ago every single player has always treated me with the respect just like the fans you, you can't imagine yeah. every day of my life wherever i go especially now uh jimmy the people come over to our booth in texas they listen all the time and um all the fans treat me with respect i'm really lucky and i hear every single day you know how great the broadcasts are yada yada and um, everyone wants to be recognized for their work and we're in the public, so we're recognized. And... um,
2: I would love to get the name of that player who is not nice to you, and so I can shame him.
3: Well, maybe out there, well, why bother, you know? (laughs) He didn't do anything wrong, he just didn't answer me twice. I said hello (laughs) twice. Once on Madison Avenue, and once in a hotel where we were the only two people, he was getting out of an elevator, and I was getting in and he ignored me, and so I never talked to him again, big deal. Didn't, (laughs) didn't Didn't bother me at all. Yeah and um and other people yeah, everyone else has just treated me uh, marvelously and um yeah I'm, I'm very fortunate yeah. I I have become really friends with two of the Yankee managers Buck Walter and obviously Joe Torrey. um anyway and, and it, when you look at all this I've been very very fortunate
2: it, it you do and I and it, it Irritates me beyond belief, but you do have some critics out there, mostly uh-huh. in the newspapers or whatever. There are, and you know, everyone—everyone ha- everyone in sports media has critics. I don't think there's anyone in sports media who doesn't have critics. But I—I I, I don't know if it would be unfair to say you're a polarizing figure. But I think the majority of Yankee fans love you. I think there are people who have problems with maybe your broadcast style. Do you pay attention to it? Do you care about it, or screw them and you're happy doing your thing? <laughs>
3: no. In fact, you know, there's an old adage, and boy, is it true. Uh, You can't please everyone, and you shouldn't try. And so you don't have to tell me the way I broadcast. Obviously, there are people who don't like it. And um, the people who are getting paid for it, I really don't pay attention to anything they say because they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it for a living.
2: Well, Also, the main guy who does it is doesn't seem to like anything, and he's fairly well, um, miserable. Now I would
3: say, when you knock someone for the 30 years I've been here, uh, you obviously dislike the person. Right. So that makes me ignore it even more. <laughs> so, now I'm cool with that. I mean, I, and by the way, you know, you could say this too. I have very strong likes and dislikes, and so when I have a, a dislike, I just totally ignore it. Uh, I'll give you a great example. I don't think I've ever listened to rap for five consecutive seconds. <laughs> and if you said to me, wow, well, have you, do you keep up with the Kardashians? No. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> <laughs> do you watch the, uh, the, uh, the, the huge housewives of, of Hawaii? No. So I don't watch those kind of programs. So, uh, I have, you know, the same likes. Uh, uh, not the same, but I have very strong likes and dislikes, so I understand it. So if you said, well, I have a friend who thinks you're the worst broadcaster in history, it wouldn't mean anything to me. Good. Now, I would say to that person, you shouldn't listen. But that's all. Right.
2: Could you name the three Kardashian sisters since you mentioned that?
3: Well, there's Kim. Right. Kim, Courtney, and Chloe.
2: Whoa! Congratulate. Now, there's two stepsisters who are Jenners. I don't want to put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Do you know those two?
3: Um, no, but I've never seen the show. <laughs> yeah.
2: Kendall and Kylie are the other two. But the, you got the three main ones, so that was a good yeah.
3: job. A I good always job. say to people, kiddingly, well, what do they do? Do they sing? Do they dance? No.
2: They make money. That's what they do. <laughs> they make money. Yeah. Um, so obviously, at the beginning of the season, Giancarlo became a huge thing for you, that call.
3: Which is amazing, right?
2: It was It was. The number one story in New York for about 48 hours, it seemed like.
3: Well, isn't that amazing, a home run call? I well, mean, it's just, it was the perfect all, storm. They're all either little rhymes or they're play on words. I mean, it's its not feeding the world's hungry. It's not <laughs> curing um, diseases. It's just an, uh, nonsense. You know, something I do on the broadcast, I feel it, and I do it now, of course. It's become a—I started with burn, baby, burn. Right. But um, with the Yankees, um, actually, in Atlanta, it was Dominique is magnifique. But (laughs) but that was a long time ago. Let
2: me tell you. you, I don't know if people inform you of this because I know you're not on Twitter. But I will tell you this. If the Yankees make a trade for a player, instantly on Twitter, there's a million tweets. What is John Sterling's home run call going to be for this player? Yeah, now that,
3: as, as a cottage industry... Yes. That becomes very tough. It was not intended to do for every player. <laughs> and uh, was the so first now one. I actually have to think. Well, the other times it just came out naturally. A yeah. bomb from Arod or Robbie Cano, Don't you know? It just came out. I didn't think about it. The first one
2: was "Burn Baby Burn." If I'm not mistaken, Is yes, that, yes, okay.
3: And he loved it.
2: Yes. Well, I, I think it did, if I'm not mistaken, I think it started with an afternoon game in Minnesota. I think that was the first burn. I remember it. I think. Ah, if,
3: uh, well, I wouldn't remember that, I could be wrong. Do you have but an... A- anyway? The fact that the the John Carlo thing became such a big thing. Yeah, uh, it became so big that a critic who wants to knock me desperately wants to knock me and wants to embrace Susan so that there's someone you know that he likes and somebody he dislikes, and he called Susan and said to her. Uh, does all this attention John is getting? Does it bother you? <laughs> and she said, "No, right? Yeah. So silly. It's yeah. The whole thing is, of course, it's not silly to him. That's his life. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. yeah, the um, the John Carlo thing is kind of a a story within a story. When the Yankees got him, everyone was saying, "What's your home run call going to be?" And I said, "I have no idea." but you won't hear it until the regular season begins, even if he hits a home run on spring training, which he did. Mm -hmm. And um, I called up Berlitz, and um, uh, they gave me a gal, their Italian master, a lovely gal named Linda Merlo, and uh, I said to her, I need a phrase, an Italian (laughs) phrase, to rhyme with Giancarlo. And I said, what I want and i said i hope you're old enough to know this <laughs> and i and jimmy i'm sure you'll know this i said i want something like ronzoni sono buoni uh, do yeah. you remember that
2: yeah the pasta commercial sure from the old
3: days yep. yes yep ronzoni is so good ronzoni sono buoni so um, a few days later what do you think she called back and said i think i have something and and uh, and it was giancarlo non si può sto which means you can't be stopped. Right. And not only can you say Stoparlo, you can also say Fed Marlo. I have an Italian girlfriend who told me that. Oh, you can also say Fed Barlo. Anyway, um, and then um one of my buddies, um, the beat writer for the Bergen Record on the Yankees, uh, a fellow named Pete Caldera, who really can sing. Mm-hmm. I mean he sings Sinatra ish. Yep. He really has a good voice. And he came in the booth a few days after everyone was buzzing about, what is the heck of Sterling saying about non si po And he, uh, he said, you know, John, I thought you were going to do something like, and then he sang, and he sang, non de that ball should travel far. And I added John Carlo, so I do that too. And uh, when someone oh well, it's terrible. I can't. Stand. Well, don't listen. What
2: do you want from me? <laughs> I so I so so you switched it over to the non dementi car. Just did you? Was the heat you got for the first call a factor in that, or you just liked the second one better?
3: Oh no, no, just something different. Yeah. It, how can I explain this? <laughs> this is not secrets to the newest atomic bomb. I mean, this is. But see, here's is, the thing.
2: I, you're yeah. downplaying it, but you have to understand the importance to Yankee. Fa- I, I will say this. I, again, I don't want to make it about me and be a bad host and, and my right. ego. I will, anytime you have a new home run call, I tweet it out and I get. Hundreds and hundreds of responses. The Neil Walker one the other night was your first one for Neil Walker. I put it out there. Massive amount of people wait for it. It's the it, you. You need to. Um, you have to understand this is a big thing with the Yankee fans.
3: We, well, that's wonderful. That is <laughs> no. I'm very lucky. I'm not knocking it. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky. I'm Just saying, it's not exactly what you would call important. And somehow, it's heard everywhere and after i did the home run call for neil walker neil walker the home run corker <laughs> david Cohn is doing tv and after the game he came and said oh i heard that i love the neil walker one
2: <laughs> yeah that's it there you go cuz it was probably on twitter then he you know
3: absolutely yeah. so you would say that's great right
2: do you ever when you're going around the league looking at box scores do you ever say oh i wish the yankees would get that player cuz i could do a good home run call for him
3: No. Okay. Now I think if we get that, people come up to me, what would your home run call be for me? And uh, I did, um, I was a guest on my buddy Michael Kay's center stage Mm -hmm. last summer, I guess. And one of his questions was, well, what would your home run call be for me? Well, luckily his name is Kay, so I said... I said, Michael, you're okay, and the whole audience. That's an know, easy one, yeah. Applauded, i yes, very
2: easy. When I told my friends I was speaking to you, they all wanted me to ask you for a home run call for me, and I said, I'm not doing that. That's his job. Leave him alone. I'm not putting him on the spot. So I, I, I can imagine people coming up to you constantly asking for that. That's got to get a little bit annoying.
3: It's become a kind of thing, yeah. and, um, and I guess I'm very, not I guess. You know what I'm else? Very,
2: I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: I guess I'm very fortunate yeah. that it's, It's happened that people, also, you know, one other thing, Jimmy, and this is true, not just of me, this is true of every broadcaster, your games can be heard everywhere. Yep. I cannot tell you how many people have come up underneath our booth in Texas where you can actually talk to us. The booth is higher than the walkway and back of the seats in the second deck, but people come talk to us and people listen every day uh, to the Yankee games. And they're in they're in Dallas or Arlington wherever they're living. Yeah, and um, so that for broadcasters that's a great thing. And also another great thing is your highlights can be heard immediately. Oh yeah, you know my my in-laws who I love dearly <laughs> uh, live in Sacramento. And, you know, I can do a home run in the afternoon and they put on the, the news in the evening and they can hear the call. So hmm. it's uh, the the uh, new age of electronics has aided broadcasters immeasurably.
2: And the, and the home run calls get all, all the publicity, and rightfully so, but I, I don't know how aware you are, but you can't predict baseball also gets thrown around a lot whenever something My boy, crazy is that happens. True. Yeah,
3: true. And oh. also, I'll give you another one. <clears throat> Excuse me. On... Uh, the Fox coverage of the playoffs last year. Uh, Alex, who's a friend of Susan's and mine, and and Big Poppy, they were doing my bits. Is that, I, I'm getting a phone call? i alone. Okay. okay. Um, they were doing our bits. So they they would do. Um, well, that's baseball, Susan, yep. and uh, that's across the country, and we thought it was great, you know. And also, you can't predict baseball, but I use that a lot. <laughs> yep, that's true.
2: Yes, it absolutely is true. Uh, you're you're not. A, I don't want to. I don't want to go into a sour subject. So, if you don't want to go there, just tell me. But you're not a fan of discussing age, if I'm not mistaken. Excuse me,
3: I'm not a fan of what
2: discussing age. Right? You don't like to get into your age and and how long you've been doing this, or. Oh, no.
3: You, uh, I don't care anymore. Oh, you don't? First of all, you know one reason why? Why? Because everybody can find out your age, I and mean, they ask your age on everything. Right. Um, and and um, it's also terrible about phone numbers. <laughs> they find out the Internet. They yeah. find out your phone number. I don't know how, but you give your phone number everywhere. Uh, I go to a cleaner's. And uh, the area where I live, and they identify you by your phone number. Well, what's your phone number? And you give me your phone number. Oh yes, and then they have your clothes for you. So, um, no, I'm 79, and um, I've been on the air for a long time.
2: I, 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 I the only reason I bring it up is I think it's I think it's part of your awesome story. I mean, here you are, big one, obviously. I think I think your birthday is the fourth of July, same as George Steinbrenner. You're gonna be eighty on the fourth of July and here you are, you have not missed one Yankee game in twenty nine years, and like you said, going back I think that's something that should be celebrated. I think that's it's a remarkable achievement and
3: you know Well, my feeling first of all, I don't plan ever to retire. Secondly, I have young kids that keep me young. Thirdly, I have to get them through college. <laughs> <laughs> so so well, you know I would be working regardless. Um, but i feel the same way that i felt in my 30s or 40s i'm very fortunate i told you i feel i don't take it for granted i'm very fortunate and it probably has to do with genes in which i had nothing to do with right. and um um i'm very fortunate too that my voice hasn't aged uh you could listen to um um, um one of the broadcasters of tampa terrific broadcaster and really good guy named Andy Freed and he came to me last year or the year before and said, I heard on YouTube an interview you had with Mel Allen in the 70s. <laughs> yeah.
4: And
3: I, I I don't know how they do that, how it's possible, whoever recorded it. Um, but he said to me, you know, you sound exactly the same. So, it, you know, that's good, too.
2: It's funny because I was born in the 70s. And when I hear someone mention the 70s in my head, I think, oh, that wasn't that long ago. And then it's like, oh, it was a long time ago, the 70s. It, it, so that staying power is impressive. I, you've already given me more time than, than um, I had asked. I'm just, can I do a couple of really quick rapid-fire questions with you just to wrap it up here on some quick subjects? Okay. Do you have a, a favorite call of your career?
3: I, I can't, but I'll, I'll tell you one, just to give you a one, I don't. I, I can't. I don't. First of all, here's the thing, too. I never listen to tapes. Okay. Because when I listen to tapes, I think I could have done it better. So I never listen to tapes. And if I don't listen to my tapes, I certainly don't listen to anyone else's. Um, but one night in the magical year of 96, in the first game of the playoffs against the Orioles in the ALCS, that mm-hmm. was the Jeffrey Mayer game. hmm Yep. And um, – it ended in the 11th inning when Bernie hit a home run off Randy Myers to win it a walk-off home run. And I gave it the best call I could get. And, you know, people didn't think it was going to be, they wanted a fair or foul. I just took a chance. And, um, I had told my wife, who was there with friends, I'll meet you down and I mentioned a certain bar in the 70s on the west side. And, uh, well, I'll give them a plug, Blondies. And, um, uh, that because I had to do a long post game, which I did, long post game. And when I left the stadium, uh, Mike Francesa and and Chris Russo were doing post game. They had to do the longest post game in history. Right, right. And as I drove downtown from Yankee Stadium, um, uh, Mike and the dog must have played. the uh, the home run about 20 times and so for all those reasons uh, that might be the call that I remember the most
2: Mike and Chris like to take a lot of credit for a lot of things but playing the John Sterling calls they deserve credit for they were the first ones to do it Um, give me a call in sport it doesn't have to be baseball it could be any sport that you wish you made the call of
3: oh my goodness (laughs) Well, I think Babe Ruth pointing to center field and hitting a home run against the Cubs—that might have been a good call. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's 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 um, that's tough to do. I don't think about that either. It's funny, I—you uh, know—basically, as I guess I've been saying over and over in different ways, I i do it by the seat of my pants so i don't yeah. think about those things all right this is what call what call would i have like i i can't think of I mean one jump shot one miracle on,
2: miracle on ice uh i don't know yeah. you know um norwood wide life wide left or wide right whatever it was um I, i'll go to this then give me best baseball player you've ever seen and i want the best yankee player you've seen since 89
3: Best Yankee player I've ever seen. Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, people people I've seen. I guess, you know, you'd you'd say Willie Mays, Henry Aaron. Right. uh, Players like that. Mickey Mantle. I saw him. I saw Mays and Aaron and Frank Robinson. People like that. Um, Frank Robinson. uh, I was in Baltimore on the air and doing a talk show. And Frank came on my show for about three hours. Actually, three. Hours. The vice president of the United States, who was enmeshed in a lot of trouble, but when he was Baltimore County executive, Spiro Agnew did my show all the time. Wow, three hours. He'd sit there for three hours. Unbelievable. Frank sat there for three hours. Um, I'm, I'm not making. I'm not answering your question because, <laughs> frankly, I, I can't. Remember. Oh, the best player. Well, those, I guess, were. The, I guess they were the best players. It's, it's very tough for me. Best Yankees. Um, the best Yankee player since
2: '89, when you started. Whoa! I know who I would say. I'm curious.
3: Well, I wish I knew. Give me a hint.
2: I think you'd have to say Mariano.
3: Oh, oh, okay. You mean you know? You want to talk about luck? Do you know that I saw Mariano pitch in every game of his career? Yeah. And I saw Derek Jr. play every game of his career. Phenomenal. Every game. And I'll uh, tell you a cute story. It's better. The stories are much better than. Then these questions that the, these answers that, you know, it reminds me of TV. And Jimmy, this you know. Every sports thing on TV, like radio, has a panel. Yeah. And they, they choose these subjects because they have to fill time. Yep. And the one sounds dumber than the other. And um, uh, so um, a writer named Brian Hoke, really good writer, mm-hmm. I've been on the Yankee beat for a long time.
2: MLB.com, I believe.
3: Yes, and he went to um, Derek Jeter uh, just before the end, and he said to him, you know, know, John has seen every game you've played. And Jeter said, boy, boy, he must be tired of seeing me. (laughs) 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 So you know what? Mariano is by far the best relief pitcher of all time and, so, um, and the most unusual of all time. You see all these other pitchers have one or two great years and then fall by the wayside. Yep. And Mariano must have been great 17 years in a row starting in 96. So I, I, I congratulate I didn't think of it. I, I would say that Mariano would have been the best.
2: When closers collapse, they collapse fast. It happened, and it never happened to him. It was crazy. I love it. When you sing during the games, you and Susan, I know, love musicals, Broadway. I love any and all singing during the games. I love the home run calls that had singing in them. Give me, I want your favorite singer and your favorite Broadway show of all time.
3: Well, uh, the uh, this is another problem that I have, you know, about the best. I Everyone's mean, says it's the best of all time. I hate I
2: on. hate being asked the best too, and I'm asking it to I you, mean, but you I can't do it. I'm just you trying know, to
3: always say who's who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron? Yeah. Uh, by the way, I played basketball all my life, and I broadcast basketball. I'm, I'm as close to basketball as I am to baseball. And who's the best, Michael or? LeBron, uh, did they ever hear of a guy named Bill Russell? I mean, it's, it's a team game, and Russell won eleven championships in thirteen years and revolutionized the sport. And there's never been another Bill Russell since. So, I mean, he has to be in that argument, and Oscar Robertson has to be in that argument too. But, but nowadays, there are a lot of young kids or young people, I should say, who are on the air, and they only know, yep. which is understandable, of the game from the time that they started watching it yep. or listening to it, and they don't know the history. A lot of the players don't know the history either, and they're missing an awful lot. Um, and nowadays you can go back, I guess, through the Internet, through different arms of the Internet, to actually see Bill, Bill Russell or whatever. But So um, what was your question? <laughs> I asked you Jimmy? your favorite
2: your favorite song and your favorite Broadway show, and oh, you told me... So
3: The Bill- point I was making is that it's impossible to choose if you like something. And those of you say, well, what player do you like? Well, I could name 20 players. Right. What Broadway show? I've seen every great Broadway show or I've heard the music. And when I, I'll give you an answer because you want an answer. <laughs> I, I don't have any great um, feeling about the answer because if you put on the music of another show, oh no, that's my favorite. You know, I'm one of those. Okay. Uh, favorite singer would be Frank. And I guess the favorite Broadway musical would be South Pacific.
2: All right. Those are good answers. I, I, that's, that,
3: that's good. <laughs> if you like them, yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I, in wrapping up, I'm just curious. So it seems like, uh, tell me if I'm wrong about this, the last few years, you're on like these one-year deals with FAN? Is that, Or was your last deal a two-year deal?
3: Well, right now it is. Um, You know, we'll negotiate the end of the year. It doesn't really matter. Does that get
2: tiring to you? Like, I feel like they should give you a lifetime contract. This is ridiculous putting you on these short deals. You should be there till you want to go.
3: Well, the Yankees have told me that, but I don't work directly for them. Uh, They have control. They have told me I'm there as long as, you know, as long as I want. Well, if FAN
2: wanted to get rid of you, I'm sure the Yankees would tell FAN that's not going to happen.
3: right. But in in broadcasting, uh, they don't give. They take. And um, so... They can't tell me what you're telling me because they think it's going to cost them money. So, <laughs> you know, that's, hey, listen, that's what, that, it's business, it's called business. Yeah. And they're trying to get the best deal for them and I'm trying to get the best deal for me.
2: Well, I, you know, I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up is, you know, when I defend you to people, I, I'm, I think, and, I, and it's a few people, most people get it. And the people who don't get it, I try to explain. Sports is show business. It's entertainment. So if you're there and, you know, maybe you miss a pitch, but you're entertaining me in another way, that's what I'm interested in. I, it's okay, right. you know, so that's my philosophy on it. So I say that as a as a wrap-up, and I thank you for coming on. And like I said, I you're the voice of the summer for me and Yankee fans, and I, I appreciate it, and uh, it was a fun interview, and I thank you for coming on.
3: Well, you're very kind, and I thank you for all your support. And um, I hope you come out to the stadium so we can meet.
2: Absolutely. I would like that. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you,
3: Jimmy. Okay. Take care.
2: All right. I enjoyed that. Hopefully the Yankee fans out there did. If you're not a Yankee fan, hopefully you got a little insight there into being a longtime baseball broadcaster. I think there's something there for everyone, even if you're not a Yankee fan. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Before we get to the next interview with Chris Stone of SI and Jonathan Hawk, this episode of the SI Media Podcast is sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings. Let me tell you about good old Buffalo Wild Wings at... Buffalo Wild Wings will admit that we often go overboard with our limited-time offerings. We just can't help ourselves. Take our new signature sampler. For $15, you get, now listen to this, wings and three shareable options like fried pickles or cheese curds. And then there's our aptly named over-the-top nachos. Yes, literally a mountain of crispy tortilla chips loaded with your choice of pulled pork, or honey barbecue, chicken, corn, jalapenos, and more. Then to top it all off with our new Platinum Margarita. That's the way you do it. Go overboard with us today at Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Available for a limited time while supplies last. And please remember to drink responsibly. And now here's my interview on the upcoming documentary 14 Back which will be seen on SITV, SI managing editor Chris Stone, and director Jonathan Hawk. Joining me now is my boss, the man who runs SI, Chris Stone, along with a special guest, director John Hawk. And uh, we have a big announcement here for Sports Illustrated and in partnership with MLB and SITV, which you can subscribe to. Uh, do you want to do the honors, Chris? Do you want John to do the honors? Do you want me to do the honors and announce what we're working on? You can do the honors. Okay, I'll do the honors. Uh, and it works out well. Yankees and Red Sox are on fire this season, and it looks like they'll be going down to the wire. So, SITV and MLB are collaborating on a documentary. It will be called 14 Back on the n- summer of 1978. And uh, we know how things ended there for the Yankees and Red Sox. Bucky Dent, a little home run that most people in New York can't get enough of and uh very excited about this documentary coming up john do you want to give us a little rundown of what people can expect from it yeah i mean this was to me i was 14
0: years old when uh when it all went down and 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 a new yorker and and bucky dent's home run was probably the happiest moment of my entire life until maybe i became a father maybe and uh the the documentary that we're doing, though, is really a uh, – it, it it's a story that only becomes more hard to believe and more unimaginable if you're a baseball fan today. Every layer of the onion you peel off, there's just another detail that just blows your mind. I can't believe baseball was played that way. I can't believe a baseball player would say such a thing publicly. I can't believe that – they uh, that that a team was that great, a team was so terrible, a team the teams hated each other really so much, yeah. and uh, still
2: do, which is good for. Yeah, they still. But
0: you know, project. today when they have a brawl, you know, Aaron Judge goes out and grabs like five guys and and kind of neutralizes right. the whole right. situation. You know, everybody was throwing in '76 in when they had the big brawl, mm-hmm. and and they they. They really didn't like each other and and there there wasn't millions of dollars at stake if you you know ended a guy's career somehow so they it's like they didn't care as much about you know protecting one another
2: they weren't all in the same club they and, hated each. And other. and back then players could be characters in this day and age players can't really be characters teams want them buttoned up you don't see a lot but i mean back then you had george and Billy Martin and Reggie Jackson and um, it, more personalities that really didn't care about public perception they didn't said what they wanted Yeah I
0: mean I think in 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 Reggie and George the owner of the Yankees George Steinbrenner and Reggie Jackson the first wasn't the first free agent wasn't the first big money free agent but he was the ultimate free agent um, you're talking about two people who Loved publicity, thrived on publicity. Who fed writers stories when there weren't weren't enough stories about right. them in yesterday's paper? Um, you know, Billy Martin. You had a guy who just couldn't control himself, couldn't stop himself from saying the wrong thing. There's the no wrong way wrong. he
2: would get a job today. There'd be no way a team no. a front office wouldn't put up with that. No, the 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 vetting process <laughs> right. exactly uh, would not allow
0: you to to hire a guy like that. Um, you know, Louis Tiant, who was uh, one of the great characters in this drama, who who pitched when the when the Sox, which we'll get to, won their last eight games of the year to force the one-game playoff. Louis started three of those eight games on three days yeah. rest and won them all, including, I think, a three-hit shutout on the last day of the season. And then he played for the Yankees the next year, so he, he really knows everybody in the drama. But Louis said... The thing that was the best about those teams is that the game would end and you would hang out together, go in the sauna, a couple of six packs, and you'd talk baseball. And you'd just talk about baseball together. And today the game ends, the guys give their quotes to the press and get out. And they don't become a club in the same way they used to, because they're so afraid of what the writers are going to write for them. Right. Uh, Plus, they can control them. their own narratives with the social media now, too. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. And then, uh, this was really—I don't—I don't know if there was a sports team before the seventy-seven, seventy-eight Yankees that became fodder for gossip columns in the same way. I mean, Namath right. had his incidents, but they were kind of incidents; they weren't daily. Back page tabloid right. drama, and the writers from uh, that covered the Yankees. They they thrived on it. This was a meal. This was a, you know a meal ticket and a big one for them. Yeah. They So they couldn't stop themselves either, and and it became this frenzy of chasing stories, being fed stories. You got to get the story out before the other guy gets the story out, and the players didn't. Uh, have a, a, a had never experienced it before so they 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 didn't defend themselves against it they didn't protect themselves from it those who didn't want to be involved right. and a lot of them just wanted to be involved
2: yeah and such a different time back then too where when you mentioned giving the the stories to you know feeding the stories to the press where people would not see those stories till the next day when they opened the newspaper you know it, it's a whole I, I that's what i'm looking forward to that whole seeing that whole thing play out because it's such a different time than now and you forget how things worked back then with without this right. thing called the no. internet. Uh, Jimmy, that's a great point. The the
0: newspaper men controlled the narrative.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what's really that's a really interesting point because John's talked about the New York media here, but the Boston media was a very formidable, competitive um, ferocious press corps. Was and, Gammons, and in their, at the time... Gammons had okay. just come back from Sports Illustrated, where he had covered hockey for a season, maybe two. How's that for a nugget?
2: That Peter Gammons covered hockey well, for SI Well, the, S. I, the I year that. before,
1: Bob Ryan had covered the Red Sox in 1977, okay. while Peter was at Sports Illustrated covering hockey, and that is very strange. Yeah. In 78, Peter came back and got his old job back. But in, in their own kind of provincial way, Boston media... W- they were kind of celebrities themselves, often as big or bigger than the players in some in some cases, dating back to the the days of Ted Williams and even before then. And um, you know, while there wasn't the same tabloid culture that existed there, just the fact that Boston is a much smaller city than mm-hmm. New York, and it's much harder for a Red Sox player to hide in Boston. Historically, this has always been true. In New York. E- even a, you know an athlete can kind of to some degree fit into the larger city in Boston. It's impossible, and also Boston was perpetually the underdog. Right. You know, at that point they had not won a World Series for sixty years, I believe it was.
0: Yeah, it was exactly sixty years. And and the, what the players feel, the the players that we've spoken to so far, the Boston writers were kind of an extension of the fans they were really the mouthpiece of the fan and and they hated you when you were losing and when you were winning they were waiting for the crumble that's what Rick right. Burleson said to me they these guys were just waiting for the crumble and they almost couldn't wait for it to happen and when it did they would kill you yeah and in in the yankees it was more you know who was saying what about whom and and the, the ridiculousness with the owner and the manager uh it, it was really tabloid fodder and not baseball writing. right right uh, but in boston it was uh you know burleson especially he he really is still wearing it like they they wore you out in boston he said when it was going well it was the best place in the world to be right and i'd never trade the five years i was up there for anything but Boy, when it went. Well, look, look
2: what happened to Bill Buckner, you know, in 86. Yeah. It, I mean, it practically. That's when it really went over the edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about the summer of 78 and, and what will what be highlighted. Before I do that, I'm going to ask Chris a, a baseball question, because you mentioned the one-game playoff. I'm just curious, because we've talked about how different things were then. Back then, American League, two divisions, no wild card, let alone, let alone two wild cards. So it was really you had to win your division. There was no other way around it. What do you think is better for the game—the way it was then or the way it is now?
1: I think it's better now. You do? I really do. I just think it's—I think nostalgically we can say you know there was a much greater sense that you really earned it if you got to the postseason. But I just like—I like the extra rounds. Because if it was, the way I it like is now, the extra that, games. that
2: summer of '78 has, doesn't happen the way it you know, unfolds with the one game playoff.
1: I'm sure the Red Sox would have found some epic way of, of letting down entire region all over again, even if they had gotten in with, with a wild card back yeah. then. But the Red Sox in 1977, which was the first year I started following baseball. I was a seven year old and they won 97 games. They didn't make the playoffs. They finished two and a half games behind the Yankees who won hundred and okay. they won 99 the following year. I mean, and we'll start getting into this. I mean, it was a remarkable start to the season. On July nineteenth, which was the point at which the Yankees were fourteen back, the Red Sox were sixty-two and twenty-eight.
2: Wow, that's
1: they went one game over five hundred the rest of the season. They won ninety-nine games. Yeah. They didn't make the playoffs, right. um, which is nuts. Actually, mm-hmm. this is probably a great opportunity to kind of talk about. debate we've had about the title yes the documentary started out as 14 and a half back because for four decades really this has been pushed i don't know if it's a boston thing or a new york thing that the yankees came from 14 and a half down in july to win the division and in boston you know which probably enjoyed the opportunity to kind of self-flagellate even more it's pushed. The Red Sox blew a 14 and a half game lead that they held in July. So all these years and I'm a huge baseball fan and a huge Red Sox fan and I've never heard anybody suggest anything other than the 14 and a half games that, um, that was blown. Right. And this summer, and this is where Jonathan can take over the story, we're talking about the idea and he said, I should probably share something with you.
0: Which was very disappointing to discover <laughs> because 14-and-a-half back sounds so much more romantic than 14 games right. back. But the the standings at the end of the day never show anything more than 14 back. So we say, OK, maybe the Sox won a game and went 14-and-a-half up for a few minutes or the Yankees lost before the Sox right. lost. Well, uh No, it, we, we, the Yankees, I forget which was which, I think the Yankees were in Minnesota and Boston was in Milwaukee. Correct. When, uh, this, this July 17th, it became 14 games. And then I think they were off the 18th and the 19th, they both played, uh, they both won and we thought, well, if the Sox won a minute before the Yankees, we could say 14 and a half back. But Which it, is still stretching it. But, yeah, but it does appear that the Yankees won four minutes before the Red
2: Sox won that night to go. Uh, and that's what made people take 14 and a half and run with it? Was the no, no, it was, it was 13 and a half. It, oh, and then okay. it went back to
0: 14. For, okay. And so it never went to 14 and a half. So, I was going to say, how did, so how did 14 so and a half some, become this thing? Some writer who we haven't discovered the, the story yet. Wrote that it that you know they were fourteen and a half back and
1: Jimmy if you if any of your <laughs> listeners yeah, come up with the answer to fourteen and a half back they will get a research credit okay yes on a documentary it,
0: right. we would love to show the story that says fourteen yeah. and a half back or if you can prove to us that our research is wrong and that the Yankees actually the the Sox won. A minute before the Yankees won to make it 14 and a half just for a moment. I'm very intrigued by this. uh, We want that.
1: Is it possible there was a rain delay? Have we gotten that deep into the research?
0: You know, the baseball reference lists the time the game started and the duration of the game, and we accounted for central time versus... I even went on eBay and bought... A 1978 Milwaukee Brewers schedule. Oh my God. To get the exact
2: time that they started you the game. You figure Elias would have Elias, or I don't know. Um,
1: the bottom line, Jimmy, is we still might end up calling yeah, it 14 and a half back right. just because we love the sound of it so much <laughs> well, and we'll explain it somewhere in the middle. Well, you
2: can you put it 14 and a half back with an asterisk if you throw an asterisk in there. It's yeah, always Billy a crystal. Yeah. You know, tell me, tell me in the listeners, summer of 78, what are some of the things we'll we'll be seeing or hearing about that took place in and that will make the the film you think Well just beside you know Yankees Red Sox, but what were the sort of little uh, my, milestones throughout the summer of 78?
0: well the this the season starts with uh the Yankees defending world champions. Reggie Jackson has uh you know proclaimed himself the straw that stirs the drink in 77. Thurman can only stir it bad, he says, then says he was misquoted. And as when when Thurman confronted him, Thurman said, misquoted for four effing pages. Uh, so he had a very tumultuous first year with the Yankees, ends up hitting three home runs in game six of the World Series. And uh, all is forgiven and forgotten, it seems. Um, opening day, he oh, – not opening day, but the home opener in 78 Reggie hits – a home run on Reggie Bar day where they actually he he had said they'll name a candy bar after me if I come to New York. I'm that big. And uh, sure enough they did and and the fans who were given their Reggie bars showered the field with Reggie bars <laughs> yes. to celebrate it Reggie. It was
1: bar. probably the best use of the Reggie bar. It wasn't a prediction it wasn't no a, especially you know, memorable delicacy.
0: I I'm I'm, I'm going to disagree. I think it was very much like the Baby Ruth bar.
1: But it fell apart. The nuts would just kind of fall out well, of the chocolate. They weren't fresh
0: by the time they reached Boston.
2: And I, well, I, just listening <laughs> New to York, this, they makes were me, chewy and good. It seems like a missed opportunity that no athletes get candy bars anymore. It seems like somewhat like you know, there's got to be a Tom Brady, you know, avocado they get performance bar.
1: Performance drinks, yeah, yeah. yeah. avocado yeah. bar. That's a good, uh, yeah. The were, trout, but, the trout bar. Yeah, something. Just doesn't sound no, good. Good. but he's
2: but that he, you know, it's got to be someone who's got like. Some personality behind them. No offense to Mike Trout, but um, like a Gronk. How does Gronk not have a candy bar? You know, that's got to, you know. That's a good point. Aaron it's Judge. Aaron Judge. He seems yeah. right for a candy yeah. bar. So you got Reggie in the – well, so, that was 77. So, so
0: they, was... they come, you know, defending world champs, riding high. Def, defending Cy Young – or the returning Cy Young Award winner, Sparky Lyle, the former Red Sox relief pitcher who's now the Yankees relief pitcher, wins the Cy Young as a relief pitcher in 77. I think it was only the second time that it happened. And uh, the Yankees get Goose Gossage as a free agent. So, in, you know, imagine today you have a Cy Young Award winning closer, and then the most expensive free agent out there who's the same position, you get him. So that's when Greg Nettles, his first of many great quips of the year. Said Sparky had gone from Cy Young to Sayonara. <laughs> and uh, so Goose then goes on to be the worst relief pitcher in baseball for the first two months of the season. He's blowing game after game.
1: When they fell the fourteen, when they fell fourteen and a half back on the seventeenth, he blew a two-run lead in extra innings against the Royals, and I think he was five and nine at that point.
2: And again, going back to how. These were times, too, when he was doing two three-inning saves. It was not... Oh. Not just. Twice that year, four and two-thirds innings. Wow. And
0: one game, a big game against the Red Sox that they lost, uh, a 17-inning game in August, seven innings of relief
2: by Rich Gossage. I'd love to know the last time a closer threw four and two-thirds. Forget seven. That is remarkable. So... Uh,
0: so, anyway, he's terrible. The Yankees are terrible. And the Red Sox, meanwhile, are awesome. Awesome. All-time awesome. Jim Rice is putting up numbers that haven't been seen literally since Joe DiMaggio. Uh, he finished that year with 400 total bases. It was the first time since DiMaggio in, what, 37, I think, 1937. But the the Sox had added Dennis Eckersley. To their rotation, Eckersley was, I think, twenty-two or twenty-three. He had pitched three years in Cleveland, I think, and had a whole dramatic family story. He was partying too much, and and
1: and Rick uh, Manning, he, look it up. Uh, and so, at the last
0: minute, they get him, and Eckersley is is pitching his brains out for the for the Sox. It's actually the only his only twenty game. Season His only 20-game winning season. That's correct. His career high in war was that year. All his great years with the A's never never had a year like this year with the Sox. So they have Louis Tiant, who's Mm -hmm. still in his prime. They have Eckersley. Mm -hmm. They have Bill Lee, uh, who's won 17 games three years in a row. And they add to that mix Mike Torres, who was – Pitcher for the Yankees the year before and was on the mound when they clinched the World Series in '77. Now he's starting for the Sox, and so the Sox are running away with it, and uh, the Yankees are collapsing on the field and off.
1: And the Red Sox got off to, as I've alluded to before, a remarkable start: 62 and 28 by by uh, the middle of July. But one thing that kind of got overlooked and it ultimately really hurt them is they had undergone an ownership change, which I think was a pretty leveraged purchase of the Red Sox by, by the Sullivan family. And even though they had stars top to bottom in their starting lineups, they had no depth. And this would hurt them in the summer because injuries, which had killed the Yankees in the first half of the season, would similarly kill the Red Sox in the second half of the season. And whereas the Yankees were a deep, versatile team, the Red Sox, you know, they were running the same lineup out there every day. They had no bench to speak of. And in part because they had let go of those kind of glue guys, those extra guys, most notably like Bernie Carbo now. Wouldn't the Red Sox have loved to have had Bernie Carbo in that one-game playoff when they sent Bob Bailey up to the plate? But the Red Sox had a star-laden lineup that stayed healthy in the first 90 to 100 games of the season. And then they weren't healthy anymore. And then everything just fell apart. And, you know, by even by September, they're going into September by Labor Day weekend – they're what still three and a half up going into that series they're four they're four up going into and this is kind of a climactic point in the season where you could almost do a documentary unto itself about these four days in september which sounds like a george will type of book but these four days it's a revenge
0: film for yankee fans against four days in october
1: and i'll let john tell you about those four days because i really still can't bring myself to talk about those four days well
0: let's let's first talk about the first of those four days Because it was scheduled to be a three-game series. On July 3rd and 4th, the Yankees had a two-game series with the Sox. And this was the point of the season where the Yankees were a total wreck. Sox were flying high, no injuries yet. And on July 4th, they're scheduled to play in Fenway. And the Yankees don't have any pitchers, and they call up a guy from Double A in New Britain, Connecticut, who had never pitched in the major leagues and would never pitch in the major leagues because the game was rained out. And if the game had not been rained out, no doubt the Sox are going to win that right. game, and that would have been win number 100 for them. The first – by the time uh, the Yankees and Red Sox play in September, this – Thursday, it's uh, or was it Monday? The 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 um, oh, it was Thursday. They 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 have to make up this game. And now the Yankees are on fire. The Sox are a little banged up and struggling and feeling the pressure, hearing footsteps.
1: But remember, this is post Labor Day. You know, September's already so we're full week into September and they have a four-game lead on you know, the second weekend of September.
0: And they're saying to each other, "Let's just take two. Let's take two of four and end it." And the first game starts. Final score: Yankees fifteen, Red Sox three. Game. All right, shake Message it off. Message sent. Shake. The Yankees don't hit a single home run with the the fifteen runs. They're just everybody is hitting. Game two of the series: Yankees thirteen, Red Sox two. So now it's down to two games, and now and at this point, with...
1: if you have to take a look at the box scores for these two games, it's like little league. The Red Sox made seven errors oh, in wow. that second game, and they were of the they were of the comical variety. These weren't like you know standard ball through the legs. This was like four guys circling in right field, and a ball falls off of Dwight Evans' glove. There, there are two moments
0: in my life as a Yankee fan that I can remember just smiling to myself as I watched something. The first, the second was in 2003 game seven when Grady Little came out to take Pedro out of the game and then turned around and walked back to the dugout with, right. and left him in. You just smiled to yourself as a Yankee fan. <laughs> this, The first time that happened was in game one of this Boston Massacre series. Butch Hobson, was the third baseman of the uh, Red Sox. Tremendous power hitter. He batted ninth in their lineup and hit 30 homers. They were that awesome an offensive lineup. But Butch Hobson was a football player at Alabama, University of Alabama. And by all accounts, fantastic teammate, fantastic guy. Uh, Had bone chips in his elbow, like multiple bone chips floating around his elbow to the point where at any given moment he couldn't straighten his elbow uh, all the way out. When you throw the ball, you need to do that. So he would have to throw the ball with a bent arm, and he couldn't control his throws. And he made 43 errors that season. Wow. And uh, almost every one by, by throwing. And uh, he had told Zimmer... Like Don Zimmer, the manager of the Sox, like, Zim, I, I can't throw the ball. You know, I want to go out there for you, but I can't throw the ball. You g- get on out there, old school Zim. And what, what Fred Lynn said is that Zimmer was really intimidated by that Boston media that you mentioned before that would really come after you. So he never took guys out of games or gave guys a day off because he didn't want to catch any flack. If they, uh, interesting. If he took a guy out and the replacement made a bad play and they Mm -hmm. lost the game, so uh, he he never rested guys and he kept Hobson in the lineup at third base, didn't DH him all year. Finally, uh, gets to September and the second batter of that first game of the four game series hits a ground ball to Butch Hobson, and of course he throws it into the stands and that was the moment as a Yankee fan you just smiled and said here we go and the, the, something in Boston just clicked the wrong way when that happened uh so anyway we're up to game three now Eckersley against Gidry. Gidry is having the greatest season a starting pitcher uh has had in the American League since you know, uh, certainly a left-handed pitcher. Twenty-five and three. Yeah. Twenty-five and three. He finishes, yep. and uh, his this is this is the season that the rhythmic clapping on strike two starts in right, Yankee right, Stadium right. in May. When of. he struck out eighteen against the Angels, uh, that's when that's when that all began. So, but meanwhile, Eckersley is having like a Cy Young worthy season in any other season, and it's zero zero to the fourth. And they're two outs and two on. And uh, Lupinella hits a pop-up. And it's in short right center. And there's a photograph where you see six Red Sox in like a perfect campfire formation around the ball as it falls to the outfield turf. Right. Seven runs later that inning, with all with two outs. Yankees seven, Red Sox zero. Five, uh, Two-hit shutout for Guidry. The first of two two two-hit shutouts in a row he'll pitch against them that month. And then Game 4, which is known for all time in Boston as the Bobby Sproul game. Who is Bobby Sproul, you ask?
1: I don't know, but I heard he has ice water in his veins.
0: (laughs) That's what Don Zimmer said about him. And maybe he did. But you have a team that has gone from 14 games up, hopefully 14.5 again, (laughs) Someone find out. Uh, All the way down to one. You've lost three games by a combined 38 to 5. 35 to 5, 33. Somebody do the arithmetic. I can't do that. Uh, And you hand the ball to a guy who has never pitched in the major leagues. Uh, Zimmer Zimmer says he has ice water in his veins. Bill Lee is begging him to pitch. Someone says Yastrzemski begged Zimmer to let Lee pitch, uh, and for personal reasons, Zimmer was not
1: going to do that. So are you excited, Jimmy? Are we, we excited you for very, this?
2: I am very, very excited. I kind of wish it was coming out today. I'm looking forward to it for sure. We'll absolutely watch it th- immediately, because um, there's, there's just so much here, and the personalities, the stories, it was... That time and those teams, it, 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 I have no doubt this will be hugely popular. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait for it to come out. Is there anything else we need to say about it? For, so it's either going to be 14 back or 14 and a half back. It depends what your audience comes back with. Yeah. And it'll be late summer on SITV. October 2nd, right?
0: October The 40th second. anniversary okay. of Bucky Dent Day.
1: There you go. and uh, Which was also Yom Kippur. <laughs>
2: Little nugget. Well, you don't forget these yeah. details. No, you forget. Yeah. You
1: forget none of these details. You know, John was in Temple that day, atoning for, you know, having bought that T-shirt <laughs> right. at Yankee Stadium, and, um, and the Red sneaking. Sox fans just didn't atone enough. Apparently, okay. you know. I mean, yeah. because I still, I can still see the Yaz swing. He, he you know, it's crazy to say this about a pop up. He just missed it. That's he what just that's missed what
0: it. Fred Lynn was saying. He said, one millimeter. He said it was a good swing and and when it you hit it a mile high like that you know it was a sweet spot and it's just if it's 1 millimeter lower on the bat it's in the bleachers and uh so so that that if that season came down to 1 millimeter that was the right way for it to come down well
2: that season i think will tell an excellent story i'm, I'm really looking forward to it hopefully everyone listening to this is too so that'll be 14 or 14 and a half pitches on SI TV October 14 and, second. 14 and a half back for back where did I say pitches? 14 and a half back or 14 p- back. Why do I keep saying pitches? 14. Why do I keep saying that? 14 and a half back. Chris Stone and John Hawk. Thanks so much. Looking forward to it. Get to work. Let's get this going. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank, thank you. Jimmy. Thanks. All right. That wraps up this edition of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Train. I thank you for listening. My thanks to the re- voice of the New York Yankees, John Sterling, and to Chris Stone and Jonathan Hawk. We'll see you next week. Take care.
1: Just search Locked On Your Favorite Team on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On Your Favorite Team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport
0: should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
1: until now through May 14th. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Champ Paul, Sum 41, 30 seconds to Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club.
3: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
1: Hi,
2: checking in for...
1: Or the perfect table.
2: Hey, where are you? Coming!
3: And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card...
2: Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it